everybody. Welcome to the Tuesday Toolbox meeting of adult children of alcoholics in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. My name is Anne. I'm a Tuesday Toolbox member and an adult child. We are recording our speakers every week because we're hoping others will benefit from hearing these stories from our members. We'd love to hear your comments and questions. Our email address is TuesdayToolboxACA at gmail.com. Also, whether you're listening on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher, please take a minute to rate our podcast. It will help others find it. Adult Children of Alcoholics is a 12-step program of recovery for people who grew up in an alcoholic or otherwise dysfunctional home. If you'd like to find a meeting in your area, go to adultchildren.org and click on Find a Meeting. This week, we're hearing from our friend Mike, who talks about the role of meditation and mindfulness in his recovery. Please enjoy. All right, I'm Mike, I'm an adult child. Hi, Mike. Of an alcoholic. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and read a short passage, which is in chapter one of the Red Book, and it's about codependency. You may have heard of it. Um, so these 14 traits describe, and this is just after the laundry list in the book, these 14 traits describe a personality who cannot truly love another person or truly allow a higher power to work in, work in his or her life. As adult children, we have great difficulty accepting love as well. These are not shaming statements or predictions of doom. As children and teens, we were not given a true or consistent example of love. So how can we know love or recognize it as adults? Our parents shamed us or belittled us for being vulnerable children. In their own confusion, they called it love. They passed on what was done to them, thinking they were being caring parents. What many adult children described as love or intimacy before reaching ACA was actually codependence or rigid control. The adult child syndrome is somewhat interchangeable with the diagnosis of codependence. There are many definitions for codependence. However, the general consensus is that codependent people tend to focus on the wants and needs of others rather than their own. By doing so, the codependent or adult child can avoid his or her feelings of low self-worth. This is the sixth trait of the 14 traits. A codependent focuses on others and their problems to such an extent that the codependent life is often adversely affected. In addition to emotional suffering, codependents can suffer from serious or chronic physical illnesses. The illnesses include stomach problems, severe headaches, insomnia, colon problems, and skin ailments in addition to other physical conditions. In ACA, we realized we could not have reacted another way given our dysfunctional upbringing. As children, we focused on the odd or neglectful nature of our parents' behavior. We mistakenly thought we caused their moods or attitudes or could do something that could to change circumstances. We did not realize that we were children and that adults were responsible for their own feelings and actions. Many of us thought we caused our parents' addiction. We took responsibility for their drinking or drugging, thinking we could make them stop, slow down, and eventually love us. As children, we took responsibility for our parents' anger, rage, blame, or pitifulness. We were children, but we unknowingly took responsibility for our parents' feelings and poor behavior. The mistaken perception, born in childhood, is the root of our codependent behavior as adults. By living with a blaming or shaming parent, we developed a dependent false self. Our false self constantly seeks outward affection, recognition, or praise, but we secretly believe we don't deserve it. Meanwhile, the, the inner child is driven inward into hiding. The false self is the adult child personality expressed in the 14 traits of the laundry list. 
So when I, when I first started reading from this book, I felt like I suddenly went cross-eyed. There's uh, a lot in there. This is like some, each, each line is like a powerful statement, and you could spend a long time on each one. And I think just the tools that I'm going to try to focus on when I, when I do this qualification are the tools of meditation or mindfulness and working with my inner child. And the reason I chose meditation is because, I'll just call it mindfulness, because so much of this stuff rode under the surface of my consciousness for so long that I really just, the first step is even needing to understand what it is that we deal with here, what it is that I, I'm even facing, because it's so ubiquitous. And it's like explaining water to a fish for me. So I just need to be in connection with my higher power, which if it's God is everything or my higher power includes everything, also includes part of me. I am good. I am okay. And that kind of gets to the root of my problem. Because my problem actually at its core is that, and yes, due to in part from growing up in a dysfunctional household, but even partly be just kind of, maybe for unknown reasons, I think that I'm not enough. I just think that I'm not good enough, and I think that I'm not okay enough, and it is the fuel that drives me. That is my fuel. Not being enough is my fuel, and it drives me. And it's it's not a really sustainable fuel. It'll get me places. It'll get me plenty of places that look good on the outside, but it doesn't get me to the place where I feel whole, like I belong and like I'm okay. Now, the thing that has got me there is this understanding of the truth that was there the whole time that's irrefutable, I think, which I understood from an intellectual standpoint, but only until very recently, I had no idea if I could ever feel it in my bones. And that truth is that I am okay. And not only am I okay, but you're okay. And everybody's okay. We just have this belief that we're not. And, and you know, from the ACA lens, so much of that has to do with growing up in places that were adverse, with people that were telling us things, that were really hard for to figure out as kids. Um, so my place that I'm describing, my such fun place to grow up, was I. my dad was bipolar and he was a drug addict and an alcoholic and my mom was codependent and we grew up in a home with a, that, when I think back on it, I, it's, my childhood is blurry. It's hard to even access it sometimes. It feels like it was kind of okay for a while, but I can't remember specific things. I just don't have a big access to it. And I think the reason for that is because for decades of my life, I just didn't want to think about it at all. And I was running so far and so fast away from where I grew up that I, bl I blocked it out. I just, and it wasn't the worst childhood. It certainly wasn't the best. It wasn't the worst. 
but I still blocked it out because I was just had this, I had this intuition that what was happening there was not right. And again, it's, it's such a weird paradoxical thing because a lot of what came from growing up in the dysfunctional home and then being fueled by not wanting to be like my parents and not wanting to mainly be like my dad got me some good things. It got me like a hard work ethic and it got me uh, pride, you know, in, in what I do and in and, and school and it got me friends because where I grew up was my house was filled with yelling and holes in walls and up and down earning and it was unsafe and in friends I could avoid that stuff and are friends bad no friends aren't bad on their face but the you know it's like so the way I was desperate for them and to make them laugh and to have them want me to give me the love and make me feel okay and accepted, that part, that part was fueled by something that was an unsustainable source of this, I'm not enough. Which, how could a kid even know that? Because as a kid, you depend on your parents to survive. So you have to adapt to your circumstances, no matter how ad adverse they are. Now, here as an adult, I get to realize that that terror I had of being left behind in the pack, I no longer have to experience because I'm an adult now and I don't have to fight for my survival and, and, and create this complex system where my caregivers will give me what I need so I don't die. That no longer is the case. Um, I feel that in my bones still. And so I have to sort of unwind that knot. Um, and I've just re recently got a lot of relief from that. Um, my father, so I, I adapted some of my, my, own my own strategies for coping were alcohol and drugs, money, fantasy, living beyond my means, anything that got me out of just being in my skin. Um, which again, to other people looked good. To me, felt like untenable. Felt like I couldn't, I couldn't sit in my skin. So I lost my dad um, 90 days after I got sober. Suddenly, he committed suicide. And it was really shocking, as it always is and it's, it was really terrible. Um, and it was really sad for me because I thought, oh, I, I don't even know if I really thought about it this way until this moment. I thought that because he and I had reconciled and that our last conversation involved eating a pizza together and laughing, watching some Curb Your Enthusiasm, because that was the case, I thought to myself, how could this happen? You know, we were finally okay. Meaning that I had this belief that I could influence him in his, even though he was very sick and suffering. And that was as a 23-year-old person. So, uh, you know, this stuff, that's, I, I was an adult child. That's an adult child belief, and I actually carried that through until like this moment. 
And obviously, the truth is that I have nothing to do with a person's decision to do that. Anyway, I like to bring that up. I don't like to bring it up. I bring it up because, um, because it's a part of my story that's real. And, you know, there's things about my story that, that are hard. My brother's like a, a not really recovering heroin addict and, you know, that with my dad. And, and, and it's really hard stuff. But I, I don't have to have that define if I deserve and can have happiness in my life. And that's a, an incredible blessing. It's an incredible blessing. So just briefly, my ACA journey, it's like, okay, I got sober, my life got better, and then all of a sudden I had put down alcohol and my life started becoming very bad in my head and in my skin because I no longer was numbing out, but I was like, I still had something going on. It wasn't just solved by the AA solution. So then I went to Al-Anon. I went to Thanksgiving at my parents' house. It was horrible. Uh, I went to Al-Anon, and then I went to, to go home for Christmas, and it was like a night and day situation. I got so much just from the awareness of these problems, and, uh, and I'm not cured there at all. But made a lot of progress, but that didn't get me where I needed to go. Then I went to DA, and that, didn't, that got me a lot of the where, where I needed to go, because the career is so important to me. It was going to be the thing that fixed me, and then it wasn't. And at, at some point, I just realized, well, I was blessed to have a friend um, introduce me to these rooms. And when I came here, I realized, okay, this, wow, this whole time, I just realized that I was broken, because I came from a broken home. I realized I, I thought, or I thought I was broken. I realized I thought I was broken because I came from a broken home. And this was really helpful. And this program is really helpful for me to identify with you and to make light of, of the shit that was going on. So I just want to say that in terms of meditation, I actually don't know how much it's discussed because I haven't read this whole book. This book is really, I really look forward to reading this whole thing, but I've read, I don't know, a quarter of it. Okay, so if I'm saying something that's in here, that's good actually. Um, that means that I'm thinking what somebody else thought, but there's usually in 12-step programs not a, a really concrete way to practice meditation. So I'm just gonna talk about just two things that I do from a meditation perspective that are really helpful. Um, one thing is I practice this thing called insight meditation. And it's kind of like a Buddhist-y thing where you just break your experience down into three types of sensations. One is I see things. I look around and I see out. I see you, you guys here. Or if I close my eyes and picture something, I can see that too. Two is hearing things. I hear out. And if I hear my inner monologue, it doesn't mean I'm crazy. It means I'm a person. Um, <laughs> And three is feeling things. Like, I feel that it's pretty cold in here. Um, and, you know, feeling in is my feelings and sensations. And I, with concentration, clarity, sensory clarity, picking out what's, which is which, which, and equanimity, I simply note my experience in any given situation. That's my whole practice. It has gotten me a lot of mileage. If you want to know more, talk to me after. Secondly, I do this thing called breath work. I had a friend move to L.A., really good friend of mine. She kept saying, I did this thing called breath work, breath work, breath work. I was like, what are you talking about? Don't care. Finally, I'm like, okay, what is this? And it was, it's been very like transformative for me and getting me in my body. Um, and, and that kind of like, 
it helps me to, to recognize what my inner child wants, what my authentic self wants, who am I in this moment, and see through the layer of fear, self-centered fear that I typically bring around every given day. It just dissolves it for me. It's not a magic bullet. I do a lot of other stuff, but this thing is, is really something neat, and I think it's coming to the forefront, and I think it can be helpful for people. But I just want to say that every, in doing this work, and I'll wrap up with this, every one of my relationships has changed. I just got married in October. I, I didn't think that anyone would marry me. I, I didn't even want it. I didn't want to get married because I thought there's no way it's going to work. Because um, I saw, you know, what I saw growing up was not a good example of that. Um, but I, I'm now in a loving marriage. It's imperfect. It's very loving. And I feel excited to go home and see my wife. It's like, okay, it's a little, it's a big deal. Um, it, it just, and, and most importantly, my relationship with myself and my, okay, like my friends and my work, all that's changed. But my relationship with myself, I'll just end with this. I thought that I would go about life doing all the right things and working really hard to do them and never feeling okay or happy. And I just resigned to that. And I resigned to that that is just my destiny. And a lot of it had to do with just this fundamental feeling of being broken. Um, and I just, I could speak for a long time about this, but the point is that I actually am having relief from that feeling and I'm incredibly grateful for it, and it's real, and I'm working hard to hang on to it. Um, and it's, I do believe it's possible for us here. So thanks. Uh -huh.